This podcast is sponsored by What They Believe series, a docu-series exploring faith through conversations. If your congregation would like to share your history and spirituality, go to whatthebelieveseries.com to find out how you can participate. Visit now to find new episodes and learn about supporting this project. The views and opinions expressed during Eye and the Triangle do not represent WKNC or the student media. Your dial is currently tuned to Eye and the Triangle at WKNC 88.1. Thanks for listening. Good afternoon, Raleigh, and welcome to this week's Eye in the Triangle, a student-run, student-scripted, and student-produced news show on 88.1 WKNC HD1 Raleigh. I'm Aaron Kling. Tonight on Eye in the Triangle, we're speaking with Dr. Elizabeth Tilson, the State Health Director and the Chief Medical Officer for the Department of Health and Human Services here in North Carolina. We'll be discussing 2019's NCOV and its relation to prior global pandemic panics, as well as what you can do to protect yourself from the disease's effects. In short, make sure you wash those hands. Afterwards, we'll be stopping by with June Dean, the Senior Director of Advocacy at the American Lung Association. North Carolina has recently received a failing grade of F for funding and tobacco prevention. Could the rise of e-cigarettes be to blame? Eye in the Triangle is right now. Let's get rolling. I'm Aaron Kling with the WKNC 88.1's Eye in the Triangle, and I'm currently speaking with Dr. Elizabeth Tilson, the State Health Director and Chief Medical Officer at the North Carolina State Department of Health and Human Services. Hello, doctor. Hi, thank you so much for talking with me today. Always a pleasure to have the medical community on air. Now, doctor, what exactly does your job entail? I serve as the state health director and the chief medical officer for the North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services, which means I really oversee and coordinate a lot of our services, some of which thinking about um, connecting in Medicaid and social services, thinking about mental health, but also thinking about some of our core public health functions as well with outbreak of communicable disease being one of those core public health functions. So I serve a wide variety of roles within the department. The 2019 NCOV virus, the novel coronavirus, has been seizing headlines for quite some time. Can you give me an overview of what we're talking about here? Yeah, I'm happy to. So Coronaviruses are a family of viruses. There are several different viruses within this family. Some are known, they're human viruses, and they circulate annually and typically cause mild to moderate disease. But sometimes there are novel coronaviruses that have originated in in animals and then have moved to humans. And so since they were not human in origin, then they are what are called novel. They're new viruses and kind of new to humans. Um, And so we don't have immunity or we haven't seen them before. So that can cause a more rapid spread of those novel coronaviruses. And that's what we are seeing um, this time. There have been other novel coronaviruses in the past. SARS, which was a sudden acute respiratory distress, and MERS as well. Those were other two examples of relatively recent novel coronaviruses that went from animals to humans. Okay. So we're seeing a virus being transmitted from species to species, but... Otherwise, is it any different than a lot of the other respiratory ailments? Is this kind of a flu situation? 
similar to other respiratory viruses in that it causes very similar symptoms, fever, cough, shortness of breath. It is a little bit different than some of our regular colds and even flus, although our numbers are premature right now, but it does seem like it maybe is causing a little bit more severity of illness than regular respiratory viruses. But we will have to wait to see how those numbers play out. Typically in the beginning of a new virus, the severity looks like it is higher than it is once we have more data. But it does seem like it is causing a little bit more symptoms than a regular respiratory virus. And then again, is more easily spread from person to person because nobody has um, immunity to the virus. Yeah, that makes sense, given that it's coming from a completely oblique angle compared to most other strains. We all know that it's coming from Wuhan, and we know about the quarantine in place there, but how is it being spread beyond China's borders? What we do know is, again, it did seem like it originated from animals and went to humans. What we are finding, though, within uh, Wuhan and then within China, and actually now outside of China, that there is person-to-person spread. So it went from animal to people, but now person-to-person spread. And so that is how then it's spreading across China and also to other countries as well. To drill down, what is the mechanism of the spread? How would the virus move from one person to another, and how would you protect yourself from that kind of transmissible system? Yeah, so this respiratory virus is spreading is similar to how other respiratory viruses are spreading. So if you envision that if you have a runny nose or or a cough and congestion and you're coughing and sneezing, then the fine droplets that you're putting in the air, that can have the virus in it. So if you're coughing and sneezing and spreading it either directly to another person, which is why we say it's good to stay six feet away from someone who might be coughing or sneezing because that is beyond that six feet, usually those droplets can't spread. And also if somebody is coughing and sneezing on a surface and it's still kind of wet and then you put your hand on that surface and then you go and you touch your eyes and your nose, that's a way to get the virus in as well. So it's that spread of those respiratory droplets, same way that other respiratory viruses are spread which is why we say wash your hands, number one, because one, if you are sick, and let's say you're sneezing and you sneeze into your hands, you want to be sure that your hands are really clean so you're not spreading it. And also, if you're not sick, but let's say you are touching a surface that got contaminated with the virus and then you touch your eye, then you can get that as well. So washing your hands is the most important, one of the most important pieces. Again, covering your nose or mouth when you're coughing to prevent the spread. And if you are sick, Especially if you're sick and going to a healthcare setting, using a mask when you're sick, that helps to prevent you from coughing and sneezing and spreading those respiratory droplets. Exactly, exactly. So although this is a new type of virus as far as disease control organizations are concerned, it's still using the same tried and true methods that viruses have been using for millions and millions of years. So the same tried and true methods for blocking it, that is, as you said, wiping down surfaces, washing your hands, avoiding coming into contact with people when you're infected, those still are effective. Yes. Yep. And the other thing I would say, though, remember, one of the best tried and true also for prevention of spread of illness is immunization. And although we do not have a vaccine for novel coronavirus yet, I always like to make sure people remember getting a, your flu vaccine is also a really important part of that prevention strategy. So always get a flu shot as well as all the other hand-washing and preventive measures that we just discussed. Exactly. I was thinking that it's important to remember that just because the coronavirus is the big new scary thing out there, that doesn't actually lower your risk for any other type of flu that's already in circulation. Right. And you could even say that, let's say you were sick with the flu, that could lower your immune system, potentially set you up for having other infections. So really, really important to do everything that you can do to keep yourself as healthy as possible. So would also limiting air travel be a good idea? 
There are a lot of federal travel restrictions um, that the federal government are putting into place in order to restrict travel. If you are sick, then we are suggesting that you not travel. But if you are well, then there is not a general recommendation for you to limit air travel. Okay. Yeah. Seems like the usual common sense stuff that you take whenever you have a cold or flu. That is correct. So how exactly is novel coronavirus, 2019 NCOV, how is it different than SARS or MERS? Yes, again, it's still within that family of coronaviruses, but it has a different gene sequence. So it's a new genetic sequence of that virus. So it's a new virus, but still within that family. So it's like a cousin. Okay, so enough variants to keep a vaccine or a immediate treatment from coming out, but not so much that it's a totally different ballgame. Go a little bit beyond the usual talk of, of how we would take care of these diseases. There's been talk about asymptomatic spread of 2019's NCOV. And this study has been kind of bandied back and forth. Is it correct? Is it incorrect? Can people that do not display symptoms spread the disease? Recent information says that those studies are flawed. Can you confirm this? Yeah, so thank you for picking up on that, and thank you for picking up on that late-breaking news about that. Um, So in my read of the article and then the subsequent editorial, that the article had suggested that a person that had no symptoms seem to have been able to spread this to other people. However, in the revision or when they drilled into the data, what they actually discovered was nobody had actually interviewed that the first person. And when they did actually interview that first person, she, uh, this person um, had said that she had had a low-grade fever, already was, um, had body aches, actually had taken Tylenol already, was already starting to feel badly. So although she didn't have those external symptoms of coughing and runny nose, she already was having some symptoms, but authors had not directly spoken with that woman. So um, that's the controversy. But I think that part of a response to a novel infection is a lot of monitoring and data collection so we can really understand what the mode of transmission is and can you spread asymptomatically or not. So a lot of the work that the states and the CDC is doing now in our very active surveillance and monitoring is being able to collect that data to more definitively be able to answer those questions. Exactly. Even while people are working on vaccines and working on treatments, there are others who are working on trying to map out spreads and predict where it's going to go next. Yes, exactly. And understand disability, understand the severity, all of the things that we need. Since this is new, we don't know. And so trying to understand all of the the properties of this virus. And the important thing to understand is how media interacts with this kind of process. We live in an age where data comes so fast and furious that the virus was only really identified a, a short time ago. Correct. Yes. So a lot of the information that's coming out may not be completely accurate, may be updated over time. It's nothing to immediately latch onto and worry about. A really good example of that is, and people, of course, are always trying to do their best to get out information. What we have found, though, in um, in past outbreaks, like, for example, the novel H1N1 pandemic in 2009, yeah, typically what you find in the beginning is that the severity of the disease seems higher, the mortality rate seems high because it's a numerator-denominator issue so that you know the numerator, you know the people who are really sick, you know the people that are dying, it's easier to identify those people. It's not as easy to identify people who maybe have no symptoms or very mild symptoms. So you have a numerator-denominator thing going in in the beginning of an outbreak. And so that's typically what we see is that reports of severity and death rates are usually much higher in the beginning than once we're much longer because now we're able to, through that more active surveillance and monitoring with contact monitoring, 
we're able to get much better handle of the denominator of the very mild, either asymptomatic or mild people, to put that numerator on top of. So that's a good example of how some of the data that comes out in the beginning, people are trying to do their best to get what, what we know to date, but often will change as we start learning more and get a better understanding of, the, of how this is playing out across populations. It's important to realize that though the death toll is something to consider, those are only the people who have been afflicted and hit hard the worst. Uh, this is not a disease that is 100% lethal. That is correct. The majority of people will have probably mild to moderate symptoms. Not to say that some people may have severe symptoms. And unfortunately, some people may die, and we for sure want to be sure those people are getting the medical care. But that the majority of people, it'll be probably more mild to moderate symptoms. Would you say that this is something you could sleep off at home? Well, I think for right now, the most important thing actually is part of that active surveillance and monitoring and making sure we're putting in all those prevention controls, that if you think, if you have any history of travel to China or you are in contact with anybody with a known disease, we want to know about it right away so that we can make sure that we are making sure you're being monitored and that you're having the care that you need, but also to make sure we're putting into place the control measures to prevent the spread. So even though it could be very mild and you could be fine, we still want to know about it because A, we want to make sure that you stay fine, and B, we want to be sure we're protecting all of our neighbors and you. I want to talk to you a little bit about the panic narratives that sometimes surround diseases when they come out. SARS had its turn with that. H1N1 certainly had its turn with that. Now it seems that 2019 NCOV is also being considered the next 1918. Why do these sort of narratives come about? I've seen individuals discussing false scarcity of medical supplies or aid resources or claiming that it's already become an enormous threat. But is that really the case? So I think that um, part of human nature is that we are scared of things that we don't know. I think that's part of, and this is novel. And so we don't exactly know how it's going to play out. That's why I think we're taking it very seriously and we're very prepared. But I think human nature is that we are worried about things that we can't predict and we don't know. And so I think it is right to be to be paying attention, to be thinking about this, and it's right for us to be very actively prepared. But I think it is human nature is worried about risks that are unfamiliar to us than worried about risks that are familiar to us. And so we'll talk about the example of flu versus coronavirus, right? So flu, we know flu is widespread in North Carolina. We know there's been 56 deaths of North Carolinians, 54 deaths of North Carolinians, nine deaths alone last week. So we know people... To clarify, from influenza, not from corona. From influenza, right? So we know if we were just to trade, if we said coronavirus is widespread in North Carolina. People would be really scared about that. We say the same thing, but we say it's flu. Flu is widespread in North Carolina. 54 people died of the flu since the, the fall, nine people last week. We aren't as scared of the things that we're familiar with, even when it's the exact same numbers. And I think that's part of human nature is that we are scared of things that are new to us and we don't really know how it's going to predict. Exactly. And to circle way back, it's a familiarity that can be just as dangerous in some ways, where people skip flu vaccines just because the coronavirus is what everyone's focusing on. Correct. Correct. Now, where can people go for more information on this condition, on 2019's NCOV? Yeah, that's a great question. This is definitely a rapidly evolving situation, and so we're trying to make sure that we have updated information and being able to push that out as much as we can. The best way for people to get updated information, then, is to go to our DHHS website, which is www.ncdhhs.gov. 
on there, you'll see a rolling banner, and you can click directly on the coronavirus, and that will bring you directly to in-depth information and updated information on the virus. Exactly. I have friends all over the country in a variety of fields of work, and everyone is getting some kind of email, some kind of notice, some kind of talk, whether it's corporate or interpersonal, about what NCOV is and what people can expect. But the fact of the matter is, is it is another disease, and we have dealt with these before, and we will continue to deal with them in the future. That's right. And... Get your flu shot. Get your flu shot. That was Dr. Elizabeth Tilson, the State Health Director and Chief Medical Officer at the North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services. And I am Aaron Kling with WKNC's 88.1 Eye on the Triangle. Take it easy, people. I'm Aaron Kling with WKNC 88.1's Eye on the Triangle, and I'm currently speaking with June Dean, the Director of Advocacy at the American Lung Association. Hello, June. Welcome to Eye on the Triangle. Well, thank you. It's nice to talk with you about this report, the American Lung Association State of Tobacco Control. We present it every year, and we try to gauge or grade state actions on reducing tobacco use. You look at such things as smoking cessation, uh, state taxes, state funding of tobacco programs, coverage and access to quit smoking, And this year, we included minimum age of sale for tobacco products to 21 because so many states had already passed that. And I believe it's been under discussion in North Carolina, but it did not pass. And why we're talking here today is because North Carolina has earned the uh, pretty abysmal grade of F as far as tobacco prevention funding goes. What does that mean exactly? Well, it means that we're putting in only about... 5% of state dollars that are needed to help fund this important program. The State Tobacco Prevention Program provides quitline services to smokers around the state. They provide services and support to the health districts around the state to do local tobacco prevention and cessation work. And it drives a lot of good policy and services. When you're only putting in about $2.1 million for a state the size of North Carolina, those dollars have a long way to go. They certainly do. It's not even a dollar per person. Mm-mm. Not at all. And it's a shame because at one time, I think it was in 2011, the program was receiving about $17 million a year. And so that's, they've had a big dip since that time. What is the reason for this dip? Well, I guess legislative leaders wanted to put money in other places, although it's hard to see what could be more important than addressing tobacco use. It is the leading preventable cause of death in North Carolina. Yeah, certainly. Smoking, of course, as we all know, can cause many effects for a person's health, not only for the lungs, but also for the heart, also dental infections. It also lowers the body's general immune response. It can cause a lot of results that will really ruin a person's state of being. It's not a good future to look towards, I'll put it like that, if you've spent years smoking. And one thing that I feel like I should bring up is that the 2017 North Carolina Youth Tobacco Survey noted that there was an 894% increase from 2011 to 2017 in tobacco use in North Carolina. So as they were cutting this program, more and more kids were starting to smoke and not receiving any sort of prevention message. 
and we began to see e-cigarettes infiltrate high schools. And can't say that, given what we've seen around the country, that that it wouldn't happen in North Carolina that kids would begin to use e-cigarettes more and more, but maybe not to that degree if we had been better funded. The thing that always surprises me, at least in this day and age, is that smoking, or at least cigarette use, has been on the decline for quite a long time. But the advent of e-cigarettes has kind of changed the playing field a bit, hasn't it? Yes, it has. I mean, we we estimate the high school smoking rate in North Carolina is about 8.9%, but the high school tobacco use rate is 28.8%. And when I say tobacco use rate, it rolls in everything. You know, e-cigarettes, new snuff, cigars, and cigarettes. So that's a 20% increase of products other than tobacco products that you smoke. We have seen so many commercials, especially the, the Truth series of commercials, coming out, explain to people why smoking is such an issue. But how do these commercials affect cigarette smokers, but not necessarily reach e-cigarette users? Why is there a divide between those two messages? Well, e-cigarette users are primarily young people, high school student-based. We don't. We have more um, traditional smokers in the adult age group. So a lot of these kids don't see e-cigarettes as being the same thing as a regular cigarette. But they both contain nicotine, and in the case of e-cigarettes, they generally contain a lot more nicotine. It's distilled down to that fluid that e-cigarettes use. It is. There, and the landscape changes every day. There's some new kind of product all the time coming out. They really began increasing the nicotine levels in e-cigarettes with the advent of Juul. Then Juul's competitors upped their nicotine in their product. So that's what we have today. Kids don't need to be ingesting nicotine. And so it creates an addiction when they're very young and and don't have the coping skills to get any kind of handle on it. This seems to me almost like a race to addiction. Nicotine is the active ingredient in cigarettes, cigars, uh, chewing tobacco, and especially e-cigarettes. And that ingredient causes neuroactivity that really creates a loop of rewards. The brain begins to crave it, the brain begins to need it, and if you stop taking it, withdrawal symptoms happen. Is that true even for e-cigarettes? It is, and there's there's no gauge for that. It's hard to gauge how much nicotine you're getting, even if they would even want to try. And particularly for kids, kids and young adults, have their brains are still developing up until the age of around 25. So nicotine can harm the part of the brain responsible for memory, attention, and learning. Now, Juul has often been discussed, or at least I've talked to people, saying that Juul is not necessarily as bad as cigarettes. It won't damage your lungs as much, or some even believe it won't damage it at all. Is that true? Well, I think we're seeing different kinds of damages. And and it's almost like comparing apples to oranges. We've got 40, 50 years of science from traditional tobacco products. To look at so that we see the long-term effects as well as short-term effects. With e-cigarettes and other vaping products, we don't have those decades 
of use to look at to see what kind of effects they have on the lungs. We don't know what what these lungs are going to look like in 10, 20, 30 years. But you do know the effects of nicotine. We do. And that seems to be a lot of what you're basing uh, your concerns about is the addictive cycle that nicotine can catch people in. Actually, there was a study done at the University of North Carolina that found that the two primary ingredients found in these cigarettes were propylene glycol and vegetable glycerin, which are toxic to cells. The more you use it, the greater the toxicity. So because the FDA has not been actively regulating these products, we don't know what's in them. And they're out on the market. And some of these products get altered with different kinds of drugs or fluids or whatever. They're sometimes even flavors. And some of the compounds they might use might be fine if you ingest it in your stomach but are not good in your lungs. So there's all kinds of variables afoot right now that need to be reined in. There have also been a few deaths reported and connected to the use of e-cigarettes. That is true. I think there are probably over 70 nationwide or at 70, something like that. I was looking up North Carolina. North Carolina's had 77 cases of lung injury since this whole thing started back in the summer. And the age range is from 13 to 72. It's been associated with the use of electronic cigarettes. What's the mechanism here then? Well, I assume they vary because the CDC has not been able to pinpoint exactly what the cause is. And I'm thinking that there may be a few different causes for different situations. I don't know. They're very careful about what they say. They're not going to just say, well, it might be this or it might be this. Uh, Additionally, to circle back around to something you mentioned, there isn't a lot of FDA control over the fluids that are being uh, placed into e-cigarettes. What exactly is the story there? Well, in, I believe it was 2016, e-cigarettes came under the domain of the Food and Drug Administration for Regulation. And they had a couple of years to have manufacturers register their products so that the FDA could begin um, investigating to confirm what was in the product, whether how much or whether each product was in the best interest of public health, that sort of thing. And it has been delayed for two years at a clip since that time, and that process has never begun. And supposedly this process will begin like in May of this year. That's another issue. So we delayed regulation of these products. I believe it is, I looked it up a minute ago, all manufacturers, in order for their product to remain on the market, they have to make an application with FDA by May 12, 2020. And then FDA will begin pre-market review to determine if they should remain on the market. But e-cigarettes have been around for what feels like almost half a decade. It does feel that way, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so we have not been as aggressive as we should have been in terms of Food and Drug Administration in getting a handle on these products. Exactly. So what you're saying is that a lot of organizations have been slow to respond here and There are a lot of unknown variables that go into e-cigarettes, but... 
I'm saying if the Food and Drug Administration has been slow to respond, the reason that they are are moving pretty quickly now, part of the reason, is that organizations like the American Lung Association and several others file lawsuits to require them to begin to take action. There was a judgment, I believe, last fall or so, that required the FDA to begin to take action to take the steps that they have been given the authority to use. The national average for a state tobacco, state cigarette tax is $1.81 per pack. South Carolina's is 45 cents. It's the fifth lowest in the country. And one of the first best things we could do is begin to raise the tax on cigarettes e-cigarettes, and other tobacco products. Are tobacco companies moving in opposition to these attempts? Often, yes, they do. They always mount strong opposition to these changes. But that's another reason that we got a failing grade, State of Tobacco Control Report. I mean, there are some other things we could do as well. Um, North Carolina is among a minority of states that doesn't require a retail tobacco license to sell tobacco products. But most states require a tobacco retail license, and North Carolina does not strong opposition to these changes. But that's another reason that we got a failing grade, state of tobacco control report. I mean, there are some other things we could do as well. Um, North Carolina is among a minority of states that doesn't require a retail tobacco license to sell tobacco products. But most states require a tobacco retail license, and North Carolina does not. And there are some very good reasons for requiring a retail license to sell tobacco products when you know where the products are being sold. So if you had situation in a community where kids were easily buying tobacco products, it would be easier to identify which stores were doing that. Exactly. So a lot of these sales that are happening are occurring uh, off the radar of organizations that would track these statistics. I think a lot of them use convenience stores, and some may use Internet sales. You know, kids get them from older kids. There are a lot of a lot of variables here. Is there anywhere that people can go if they want to learn more about lung health? I would recommend our website. We have an expansive website at lung.org, L-U-N-G dot O-R-G. You can learn a lot about e-cigarettes. We've got tools and tips and information for parents, schools, and kids, as well as help in quitting smoking. We have a helpline that you can call and get help in quitting smoking or learn about any type of lung disease. They're staffed by respiratory therapists and nurses. Uh, So it's a good source of information. And that'll get you started. I was speaking with June Dean, the Director of Advocacy at the American Lung Association. Thank you so much for coming on, Ms. Dean. Thank you. I've enjoyed the discussion. I have as well. And I am Aaron Kling with WKNC 88.1's Eye in the Triangle. Take it easy, everybody. That's all for tonight, everyone. Remember to keep those lungs free and clear, whether of coronavirus or smoke. Hope tonight's show has helped all of you breathe a little easier.
Thank you to our live audience who has tuned in to hear our sets. It means a lot to us all here, and we're always happy to hear from you as well. That's right. If you have any burning questions or powerful opinions, hit us up at publicaffairs at wknc.org. We are also accepting applicants who would like to become part of the Eye on the Triangle team. Tonight's episode of Eye on the Triangle can be enjoyed in a podcast format through Transistor and through WKNC's Twitter. Our opening music for tonight was Safe Sacks by Texas Radio Fish. Copyright 2019, licensed to Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, 3.0 license. Stay tuned for our usual program of amazing indie music, and we'll see you all again next time. Take care now.